Now there was the illustration. Now we'll get to the sermon. Thank you, Brian. We've talked quite a bit over the last weeks about this day. I'll never forget the day that uh, while he was in that time totally out, that Rhett and I went by to visit with he and Mary Lou, and, and he was not there. It really wasn't there. And we, uh, we left, and we both were just brokenhearted because, quite honestly, I didn't think we'd ever see him again uh, alive. I thought the next time we saw him would be, well, not alive. And uh, we went home, we kept praying, and you kept praying, and we went back, I went back about three days later, maybe four days later, and I walked in his room, and I expected to find him in the same condition, and when I walked in, he opened his eyes, he looked at me, and he said, I'm back, just matter-of-factly, nothing extraordinary, just, I'm back. And we talked and we prayed and, and we rejoiced that indeed he was back. In our study of Romans, we're, we're in that passage in Romans chapter 8 where Paul is talking about suffering. Now, he's talked about it before. If you remember back in Romans chapter 5, uh, he, uh, Paul talked about this. And, and uh, Brian and I talked about this a little bit last night. In chapter 5, he said, you know, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we have obtained by, uh, by faith, we, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he says this, not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we, re- we also rejoice in our sufferings. It's a strange statement. We talked about that m- a year ago when we were in chapter 5. And that's really a strange statement for the Apostle Paul to make. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why would we rejoice in our sufferings? Well, he goes on. He says, we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul talks about the effect of suffering as we look for glory. There's an immediate effect, a continuing effect, and an ultimate effect that suffering does in our life. Suffering is not without purpose. As a matter of fact, truth of the matter is, life under the curse of the fall, which all of us are living under, life under the curse of the fall is marked by suffering. It's it's unavoidable. The body is decaying, it's giving away, the spirit's being renewed, but the body is decaying from the time we come in the world. I showed you that precious little grandson of mine to begin the service. His body is new and fresh and growing, but even at this point, it's moving toward decay. It's, it's moving toward the end, it's moving toward death, and some of you and I are just a lot closer to it than he might be if normal circumstances take place. But under the curse, under the curse of the fall, we all have suffering in this life. That's what Paul is saying in verse 18 of chapter 8, where we are to our text. When he simply says there, for I consider, if you've got King James, it says, I reckon, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
he, he starts making a comparison there, and then he really says, there's no comparison to make. I can't even begin to say it. Paul is almost going to say, you know, when I think about glory, the glory of God, the presence of God, being with God, when I think about glory, and then I think about the sufferings that I'm going through in this world, they're not even worth comparing to one another. The glory is so much greater, the glory is so much more inexplicable, if you will, that it's hard to even say, I'm going to compare glory with my sufferings. The, the sufferings vanish. Now, Paul didn't say suffering wasn't real. He didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. You, you, you're just going through something, and it's really not that big a deal. No, Paul says, these are big deals. Remember the book of Acts? He said, I was shipwrecked. I was, I was beaten. I was flogged. I was thrown in prison. I was mistreated. All sorts of bitten by snakes and everything else. Paul had all sorts of things happen to him that were real sufferings in his life. But what he's saying here is, those are all bad. Those are all tough. What Brian's been through is bad and tough and, and, and rough in this life. But when you compare those to knowing the glory of God, to, to the glory that is yet to be revealed, and Paul says revealed in us, internally, personally, purposefully, then those sufferings tend to not even be comparable to that which is to come. Peter, in his little book of 1 Peter, talked about that a bit. He, he said in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, and he, he, he said, you know, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time uh, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Peter says, listen, sufferings are part of this life. And your sufferings are not just for you. Your sufferings are to, be looked to, are to look to Christ and be comforted in those sufferings that you might be ministering to other people. That you might see that your sufferings are for the good of the body, for the good of the church. When John Calvin, the reformer, talked about verse 11 in those verses, which says, inquiring that what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, he said this, he said, the church of Christ has been from the beginning so constituted that the cross, suffering, has always been the way to victory. And death has always been the passage to life. The order is to be noticed, Calvin said. He, that is God, mentions sufferings first and then he adds the glories which are to follow. For he intimates that this order cannot be changed or subverted. Afflictions must precede glory. So there's to be understood a twofold truth in these words that Christians must suffer many troubles before they enjoy glory, and that the afflictions are not evils because they have glory annexed to them, attached to them, a part of them. Reminds me of in, in John chapter 9 when the disciples and Jesus were walking along and they saw the blind man, the man who had been blind since birth. 
And the disciples, being somewhat theologically educated, they thought, they looked at the blind man and they looked at Jesus and they said, tell us, why is this man blind? Is it because of his own sin or is it because of the sins of his parents? Those are their only two options. Is it because his parents sinned and so to be punished, to punish them, their son was born blind? Or did he do some kind of sin even before his birth that caused him to be enter into this world blind and punished for that sin or a sin that he was going to... Why was he born blind? And Jesus looked at him and said, it wasn't because of his parents' sin. It wasn't because of his sin. His blindness is for the glory of God to be revealed. His suffering that he had suffered for years and years from birth on into adulthood was not because of his parents or him. But it was so that at this moment, the glory and the power and the majesty of God might be seen when the Son of God, God incarnate, comes along and gives him healing, which is one of the marks of the Messiah, that he would give sight to the blind. Peter says, I want you to understand this, but I want you to understand something else about it. He says a little later on in that little book of his, in in chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial, that is suffering, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says, listen, here's my pastoral word to you. As a pastor and as an elder in the church, here's what I want to say to you about suffering. Don't be surprised by it. It's a part of the fallen world. It's a part of the circumstance that we find ourselves under because our first, our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God and believe Satan. And so because of that sin entered into the world and everything was corrupted, everything was polluted, you included, me included in that. So don't be surprised by it, but you know what? We really are surprised by it, aren't we? Typically our question is not even why. Our question is, why me? Why does this come up on me? I'm a good person. I mean, most of you have looked at Brian Priddle and said, he's a good man. Delivers babies. I mean, that's a good thing to do. He loves delivering babies. Some of you in here have probably been delivered. Well, I know some of you in here have been delivered by him. So that's good. Had a good reputation. But let me tell you something. He said it himself. You never heard him talking like he's talking today, and he talked to those doctors back when he was just a good guy delivering babies. But through suffering, God has taken that suffering and has purified him and has changed him in a, in a magnificent way into the presence of Christ like he'd never known it before. Like he'd never known it before. Suffering has a way of doing that. It leads to endurance. It leads to to proven character. It leads to the glory of God manifested within us. When Paul says to those Roman Christians in Romans 8, chapter 18, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, whether it's persecution for your beliefs or whether it's physical illness or whether it's grief, all which are very real, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You hear that word glory, what do you think about? 
What do you think about when you hear that word, glory that is to be revealed to us and in us? Typically, our first thought is heaven. And that's a good thought. Nothing wrong with that. And our, our first thought is heaven because we, we've all our life heard about how great heaven is. Streets of gold, pearly gates, you know, flowing with milk and honey, no needs ever go unmet. Everything is perfect there. There's no sin. And all of that's great. But folks, the glory of heaven is not heaven itself. The glory of heaven is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of heaven is the glory of being in the presence of Almighty God for for not a season, not a little time, not a little while, but for all eternity. To be in His presence, to know His presence, to know His work in your life has been perfected and has been completed. The word glory has as its root in in both the Hebrew and the Greek, as a matter of fact, has at its root the concept of heaviness, the heaviness of God, the weightiness of God. And to know His glory and see His glory and enter into His glory is to enter into the the presence of Him in such a way that there's a heaviness and there's a completion. I I love how Piper says it uh, when he asked the question. He said, would you be happy to go to heaven knowing that all your needs would be met. You'd have a great home there, a great room in the mansion. You'd have a great place to live. You'd have everything you've ever wanted, everything you ever needed. You'd have no needs, no wants, no sin. Would you be happy and would you want to go to heaven if you went there, but Christ was not going to be there? That really gets to the root of the motivation. Are we wanting it for our selfish reasons that we might be able to, you know, kind of just have a life of ease, a perpetual, eternal, perfect retirement plan, if you will? Or is it because our greatest desire is nothing more and nothing less than be in the presence of our Savior, to be in the presence of Christ, to to know Him. We, We know Him now because of His work in our life through the Holy Spirit, but to know Him more intimately than we can even imagine. That knowledge here now gives what Brian referred to, uh, that Paul talked about to the Philippian Christians, that, that peace that passes all comprehension that's beyond our understanding, a peace not to fear death, a peace not to fear suffering. But that peace that comes upon us when we enter into His presence in a perfect and glorious way, that's unlike anything we can even imagine. I know there's a song, a little spoiler here, I don't like the song, but, but the song is, I can only imagine. No, you can't. You can't even begin to imagine what is waiting for those who are in Christ. You can't even begin to imagine what it will be to be in the presence of your Lord and your Savior, knowing Him intimately and eternally in His presence, doing whatever He's got set out for us to do. I don't think heaven's going to be like uh, some of the cartoons we've seen where we're floating on a cloud and plucking a harp. I can't play a harp, so I'd be in trouble. I don't think it's that at all. 
It's a matter of continuing to serve the one who redeemed us and who called us and who has given to life, given us life. Peter says, listen, glory comes on the other side of, of, of suffering. Glory comes after the, the suffering has tested our faith and shown the genuineness of our faith. And, and our faith will be more precious than gold because gold will perish even though tested by the fire and even though it's purified. But our faith, our trust, our, our hope in Him will be found to result into the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul said the same thing in a companion passage, this Romans 8 passage in 2 Corinthians. Pastor Ricky read the first part of that this morning about how it let the light shine out of darkness. Even in the midst of dark times of suffering and pain, His light will shine. His light will be present in the life of those who know Him and look to Him. And trust in Him. He goes on to say, but we have this treasure in, in clay jars, jars of clay, in order to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Whether you're a doctor, or a banker, or a lawyer, or a ditch digger, or a preacher, you have no power in and of yourself. You're just a clay jar. You're just a clay jar, but you're a jar of clay which is fragile and breakable and, and deteriorating in order that you may show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Your trust is in Him if you're in Christ. Your trust is in His work in your life and His continuing in your life, not in yourself, not in your abilities, not in what you think you can accomplish. Paul says... We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Yeah, we're afflicted, but we know who is on our side, who is our strength. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed. Sometimes we do say, I don't understand this. We're perplexed by circumstances. We're perplexed by suffering. We're perplexed, but we're not but we're not we're not driven to despair we're persecuted but we're not forsaken because he is with us we are struck down we fall we stumble we struggle but we are not destroyed we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus in our body, in the body of the church, in our own, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We've talked about it so many times. It, it's your union with Christ. Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. Your union with Christ is what the Christian life is all about. It's not about religion. It's not about going to church. It's not about just raising your hand and even going through baptismal waters. It's about Christ in you, the hope of all glory, and your strength so that we carry his death in us, so that his life may be manifested. For we who live are always being given over to, de the death, to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you is also at work, Paul said. He says, we have a spirit of faith, we have a spirit of trust, we have a spirit of obedience, 
and we press on. In verse 16 of that chapter, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day by day by the presence of Christ. For this slight momentary affliction, remember, even if it's long in in years, in light of the glory that is eternal, it is short. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond our comparison. We look not on things that are seen, but on things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We are being prepared for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says, yes, your suffering's real. Your pain is real. But you don't wallow in it. You don't get fearful in it. You, you put your trust in who is the author of that, uh, of life. Uh, and of all that there is. You put your trust in your Creator. And your Creator is the one that sustains you and gives you strength through all this. And you put your trust in your Redeemer, the one who has given His life, God incarnate on the cross, to bring you to faith in Christ by His Holy Spirit working His truth out in your life. Paul says, listen, suffering is real. So is glory. Suffering is real. But for the believer, so is the weightiness of God in your life. It's not a life of ease. It's not a life of of easy going. It's not a life that, as we sarcastically said too many times probably, I'll say it one more time, I'll do it again. A life that's your best life now, it's not that. A life that's looking forward, always looking upward, always looking toward the one who saved us, always seeking his glory. Yeah, we suffer in relationships, we suffer with sickness, we suffer with all sorts of things. And if we put our eyes on those things, we will be beyond perplexed, we'll be angry. We'll be poor old me. But we look on our Savior who endured the sufferings of the cross. He endured the sufferings prior to the cross of beatings and scourging and all of that. Nothing compared to the cross. And he hung there with his arms outstretched, nailed to a cross, his feet nailed to a cross, struggling for air and breath painful, hurting, suffocating, going through all of that. Nothing to that. At just the right moment, He bore your sin and my sin. You never suffered like that. You never will suffer like that. 
if you're a believer. Because he has borne your sin in his body on the cross. And hanging there, he died in our place. He died our death. And as Owen puts it, he put, he put to death, death in the death of Christ. Death died because it cannot be victorious ever again for those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't even compare. Paul is at a loss for words. I, I can't consider the sufferings even comparable to the glory that is yet to come. Wait for that glory. I trust in that glory. My sufferings point me to that glory and encourage me onward. The question is, is that glory something that you know now as a shadow, as a realness, but not anything like you'll know it one day? But do you know Christ? now and trusted him and trusted him alone not in your good works not in your church not in anything except Christ and Christ alone because he is calling you he is commanding you and by his Holy Spirit he will lead you to put your trust in him let's pray together Father, we look at the things around us and we say, oh, how bad. Even this weekend, two more shootings. Innocent people just at a football game and just driving down the I-20 in Texas. We saw the hate-filled murders of innocent people at Walmart in El Paso. We, we saw the shootings in Dayton. Lord, we see things that are just beyond our comprehension. We, we can't understand them. And so we tend to try to do what we always do. We try to say, well, that's them. We try to find all sorts of solutions except the one solution that hits us in the face. And that is the sin problem that only has a solution in the Lord Jesus Christ. The depravity problem that can only be solved through a renewal of a heart by Jesus Christ and by your Holy Spirit. It's always somebody else's fault. Until it happens to us. Then it's still blamed on something else usually. It's much more personal. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit you draw us all closer to you in a spirit of renewal, in a spirit of reviving, even with our own hearts and our own lives. I, I pray, Lord, you draw men and women and young people to you for salvation that don't know you. 
Father, I pray you teach us from the sufferings of a brother that even in the midst of all that, you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. You're there with us. Father, teach us that great truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What better hymn of commitment than to 